Heidi. Well, yeah, it's sort of neat. I, you know, I can see you there in the in, almost in the shadow. Ma, you're here, yeah. aren't you? Talking to the microphone. Yes. Okay, I'm good. Here. And you are here to sign books today, right? Yes. And give out hats and give out um, bumper stickers and give out bags to people who come by and get, get healthy with a healthy start pack. All that's free, but if you just want a book, it's uh, $15 donation to the radio station uh, or uh, $10 for each additional one after one. Yes? Is that right? Yes. Okay, good. What else do you have to say today? We're going to have mean a... me? Yeah, you. I don't have anything else to say at this moment. Okay. Maybe a little later. Okay, good. Very good. So um, let us uh, start the show. Let us start the show officially, okay? Good morning. Good morning. today because I was unable to manage the uh, <coughs> to manage the audio for the first time ever. It's sort of like it's the Twilight Zone. Just for the heck of it, let me try this again. Good morning. Okay, it just doesn't work. You can't pot it down. Where's the engineer? Richard. Richard, come on in. Anyhow, we're going to pretend that nothing happened and we're going to start the regular the, the, the radio program. Homeless. That's not the homeless that's making me say, ah. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like nothing is working today, and I don't know what to say. But uh, here we are, um, Jim McBurney. Jim, you sent me you sent me a number of uh, emails over the last uh, month or so. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you have you you have an interesting idea about how to solve the homeless problem in the city and county of Santa Cruz. And it's a really unique idea. I've never heard anything quite like it. It involves the subsidizing or the putting out, actually paying for the housing of homeless people. Yes. And you've collected some data that would seem to indicate that that would be considerably less expensive to the community than the current situation that we have right now uh, that involves a, a whole lot of overtime on the part of police officers and so forth. So why don't you tell us, give us a little bit of a background. Of, of you, you have nothing to do with, with you know, running a, a homeless agency or anything like that. You're a private business person. Yes. And you have a company called Strategic Reports. Um, and you're the president of CEO. What does Strategic Reports do and how did you get involved in this particular um, issue? Well, we write uh, business plans to help people get funding for early stage companies. And I got involved in this not so much through my business background, um, but because I've uh, been following, reading the paper and following the homeless situation for a while. And I've got a number of data points that have ended up in a theory that we could have a, a, a virtual no-cost solution to our homeless problem if we just looked at the situation slightly differently. And I take my lead uh, from studies that have been in L.A. There was a United Way homeless cost study in Los Angeles that showed a 43% reduction over two years in the costs of a homeless uh, in terms of public services expense. 
And there was a Chicago study that showed an annual uh, cost savings of $6,000 per person if these people were put into housing uh, with case management and effective follow-up uh, outpatient services after uh, if it was transitional housing afterward or if it was permanent housing. Now, New York and Chicago also have similar programs where they provide housing and outpatient treatment. So I began to I did some research online, and I found these studies that showed that uh, you can reduce costs if you house the homeless. So the second thing I looked at uh, was what is the homeless problem? What are the <clears throat> bullets that I've gotten from reading the paper and listening to the radio here in Santa Cruz? Well, I've heard Steve Clark, who's the police spokesperson for Santa Cruz City, who has said that almost 50% of the police workload is due to homeless uh, crimes. And I've heard that the recent homeless uh, study showed that 28% of the homeless population, or there was a 28% homeless population increase just recently to over 3,500 yeah, people. Yeah, it's been in the news a lot. Yeah, this was just a couple of days ago. And the recent 28% homeless population increase provides, I think, it's going to, take all of the bandwidth of the six new Santa Cruz police officers that just were hired yesterday. So if you've got 50% of the police workload dealing with homeless crimes, and this is a big, long list of homeless crimes that keep increasing every time the council passes another one, uh, you've got half of a $20 million annual budget that is being spent to deal with uh, 50% of the uh, uh, the homeless uh, crime problem. So this recent study showed that 30% of the time spent in jail, uh, that 30% of the homeless people have spent time in jail in the last year, and the 20, 26% were addicts. So the Chicago and Kansas City study showed that the 80-20 rule applied when it came to homeless crimes and problems. 20% of 3,536 people is 707 people. So that's how many addicts uh, are in Santa Cruz, according to the last uh, study. So if they are following the 80-20 rule, then 50% of the homeless crimes, then they're accounting for 40% of 50%, or 40% of the total homeless crimes. So we therefore have a Santa Cruz police budget alone of $20 million a year with $2 million in overtime, $22 million total. And if 80% of half of the police workload or 40% of all of the police workload is due to 707 people, that's at a cost of $11 million annually to deal with uh, the problems created by 707 people. So this is $15,600 a year, and I started thinking that if you house these people, it could possibly cost less than $15,600 a year. So there's this additional issue of the revolving door. Uh, jail is something of a revolving door. Rehab is something of a revolving door. The homeless shelter has been called a revolving door, although it devotes all of its effort to putting people into paid into housing. The city attorney has said they don't prosecute nuisance crimes, 
because the jails are full. There is success, but no funds in the chronic substance abuse program. And Claudia can talk more about that, but there is no funds for that, although they have a successful way of treating chronic substance abuse people, chronic homeless people, rather. And an important fact is that Santa Cruz is 55th most lenient of 59 California counties in prosecution of crime. A 28% homeless increase shows that the door is open. I mean, more homeless people are coming into Santa Cruz. Certainly a 28% homeless population increase exceeds the population increase of Santa Cruz uh, in the last year. Thus, the worst offenders are getting a free ride because of lack of room in jail. So if we made room for the people that are creating the majority of the crimes by putting them in rehab and SLEs and permanent housing, they would be off the street. The police workload would reduce. Police overtime would reduce. Take back Santa Cruz would be happy because the homeless people aren't in the Evergreen Cemetery and on the streets. Huff would be happy and homeless advocates would be happy because the homeless addicts are getting needed treatment. And property owners would be happy because their property values would rise. So how do we effectively close the revolving door? Because clearly it hasn't been happening. The status quo, the equilibrium in the system uh, has people going in and out of homeless shelters, in and out of jail, in and out of rehab. Uh, so in looking at the nature of the addictions, there's meth and heroin, which fuels the needle problem that's very often talked about, and also residential burglaries. Alcohol fuels 9-11 crimes because when people get drunk, they have fights, and that causes a 9-11 crime because it's a risk to the safety of other citizens around the person that's acting out. Homeless costs emergency room trips. This is a major expense. This is a fire department expense because when someone has to go to the emergency room, whether for one reason or another, it's a very expensive proposition, and it's paid for by the city. So housing the 70, 707 homeless and particularly the addicts would reduce police, fire, and park costs. I've calculated that the total police, fire, and parks over time for both the county and the city is $4 million. So if some of that would be reduced because of the reduced demand for police, fire, and park services because there are less homeless people on the streets, then that would be an area that would offset any additional expense to get these people the help that they need. So how do we make space in jail initially? We could make space in jail by releasing addicts who agree to strict outpatient services for their particular flavor of addiction. And those outpatient services would be provided Yes, it would funding. What, where would the funding come from? Well, the funding would come from the reduced amount of police, fire and parks overtime. If you believe that police, fire and parks overtime is four million dollars a year and there's a separate financial analysis to do that. If you take homeless people off of the street and put them in rehab and into paid housing, 
there would be less money spent well, on the, theoretically you overtime. Be, you wouldn't be trading dollars then. I mean, because that's what it sounds like. You're, you're sort of trading dollars, but but you've said that you believe that the net um, gain to the services would would exceed yes the additional cost yes and these uh, for providing new sir for providing housing and new services yes that's true okay. michael these uh these three or four studies i mentioned earlier all have very detailed estimates of the myriad of costs and how they would how they got reduced in chicago los angeles kansas city and new york and two of those cities have implemented programs based on these studies of, that house the homeless and significantly reduce the, the homeless problem. So I wish I had heard more about that, read more about that in the paper, but I didn't. So in terms of strict outpatient services, um, my, my thinking is is that antabuse is uh, a known way to help recovery from for alcoholics and cocaine addicts. Uh, and if there was an optional volunteer program, people could be released from jail if they agreed to a strict follow-up outpatient services that involved something like an abuse, where you really reduce the chance of uh, remission, but only if it's strict compliance. The problem with an abuse and a lot of outpatient services is that it's too easy to reoffend, so there has to be an incentive to stop. And, and abuse? How do you spe- how do you spell that? A n t a b u s e. And abuse, and that means again. Well, it's got a technical name. If anybody Googled it, niprazone or probazone or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it basically causes a a violent uh, bodily reaction to an alcoholic or a cocaine addict if they drink or take cocaine. So it makes drinking or cocaine, instead of releasing endorphins, it makes it very unpleasant. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, um, we have to make sure that once we go to the expense of getting somebody into permanent housing, that they're not just going to get into permanent housing, get some money, and go back out and start drinking and following whatever addiction they've got. So if that if an abuse worked for alcohol and cocaine addicts, the strict outpatient services, I believe, that would work for uh, meth and heroin addicts would be follicle testing. I think anybody in the drug culture knows that uh, meth can be defeated. The P test for meth could be defeated by buying uh, bags of things that you cleanse your body with in any head shop. They're sold all around town. Uh-huh. The only way to really identify if someone is reoffending on a, or a meth addict is hair follicle testing. So if we had a voluntary program that allowed people to get into housing, but they had to agree to solve their problem through strict outpatient compliance, the new message for Santa Cruz would be come to Santa Cruz and get on an abuse, which isn't fun. Instead of of, come to Santa Cruz and have a blast and get all of these public services and spend time in jail if you need to clean up for a while, get a good meal at the homeless center, etc., etc. So it sends a new message, and the new message, I believe, would close the door and raise property values, and over time, uh, police over time would drop, and the police would get to focus on other crimes like drug selling, which is behind the whole homeless problem, or at least playing a major role in it. What a concept. Thank you, Jim McBurney. 
We have Claudia Brown, who's with the Homeless Services Agency here. So delighted to have Claudia here uh, at the beginning of the program. I had um, I had thought that we're going to have to uh, wait a good uh, 45 minutes to an hour to get you here, but welcome to KSVO. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I cannot wait to hear what you think of Jim's uh, idea. I love a bunch of his ideas. Um, I just met Jim this morning, and we chatted for a minute on the foyer. And one of the things that is um, is refreshing about his approach is that it really is looking at imagining Santa Cruz without homeless people, which I think is the state that we all really want. You know, it, it, it's not true that, that we've always had this huge population of homelessness. I mean, homelessness is a human problem. Sure. But in the 70s, it really was exacerbated. And and nobody knows exactly why, although there's some theories. There's a really good New Yorker article in the last couple of weeks about homelessness in New York City that talks about some of the issues that I think we share here in Santa Cruz. What I like about Jim's approach is that he's looking at where communities have been successful in reducing homelessness. And that's really got to be our aim. We can't just take care of homeless folks, um, which is kind of what the what the approach in the 40s was, two hots and a cot. Um, that doesn't work. It worked when people were homeless for a very short period of time. But we have a population around the nation and here in Santa Cruz of what we call the chronic homeless. And chronic homelessness is defined as someone who has been homeless for a very long time and has other presenting problems medical problems, drug abuse problems, um, emotional or psychological problems. You know, a, a lot of our vets are in chronic homeless yeah, status because yeah. they've been homeless for a long time and they have these, these long-term problems. The chronic homeless are, in fact, the, the population that costs us the most. That would be much cheaper to house them. The numbers that I've seen show something like $2,800 a month to have someone out of housing and to, and all the supportive services that Jim talked about. I'm using supportive. I'm putting my fingers in the air in quotes because it's like police and um, hospital. So it's not exactly what you'd think of as supportive services, but they're expensive. And the studies show that it would be closer to about $800 a month to have that same person in permanent supportive housing. And permanent supportive housing includes all the things that Jim talked about in terms of wraparound services, case management, rehab, uh, medical attention. This is what the Homeless Service Center has been calling for the last year, an example of something called a smart solution. And we sort of coined the phrase smart solution in Santa Cruz to say that a smart solution is one that has been proven and Jim was Jim was talking about Chicago and Los Angeles, something we don't have to make up. We can borrow somebody else's research, something that's proven, something that's cost effective. Another point that Jim brought up and something that is measurable. We can see the results. We can measure the numbers of people going into housing, the numbers of people who stay in housing for a period of time, the numbers of people who get into rehab. A couple of examples here locally of smart solutions that the um, Homeless Service Center, and oh, by the way, Jim, Jim was correct when he talks about the Homeless Service Center does not spend a dollar if we can't identify how the money that we're spending 
is aimed at getting into someone into permanent housing. Um, we are not interested in palliative care at the Homeless Service Center. We are interested in getting people into housing. And two, two programs that I think are outstanding examples and that we can use um, as springboards for this sort of an effort that Jim is uh, Jim's talking about is the 180-180 program here and the initiative here in Santa Cruz. A year ago, um, we said, I say we, a bunch of people, um, said, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to borrow a national campaign. Again, Jim's examples. There's a hundred thousand homes campaign that was launched nationally. And what the hundred thousand homes campaign said was, in, in a number of years, I think it was three years, I don't remember numbers as well as Jim does, so I'm not going to give you percentages and years and, but in a number of years, we're going to we're going to house 100,000 folks in um, in this nation, and that and, and we're aiming for the chronic homeless, the people who are most expensive and most likely to die if they are left out on the street. And we're going to pick them off one at a time until we get to 100,000, and then we're going to see where we go from there. Santa Cruz wanted to join that effort, got a lot of help. Um, and information and support from the 100,000 Homes campaign, and a year ago launched the 180-180 campaign. And the 180-180 campaign says we're going to take 180 people off the street and make a 180-degree turn in their lives. And we're going to do this by, by identifying the most vulnerable people one at a time. And so there was a... There was a um, Census, well, not, not exactly census. There was an interviewing process where at four o'clock in the morning, a army of, an army of volunteers went out into the woods, into the campsites, into the shelters, and, and walked the recipients through what we called a vulnerability index. Again, a national program. A vulnerability index basically identifies the people who are most at risk out in the, out in the world. And then we started, we made a list and we started housing them. We've, we, we just passed the 107 mark, I think it is, um, which is hugely successful. These people are in permanent supportive housing. They have the case management. They have the rehab facilities. They have whatever they need in order to stay housed. And so we're on track to getting that 180 people. So this is a, an example of a smart solution. Proven, measurable, cost effective. The other one is, Jim mentioned hospitals. Um, the Homeless Service Center just recently opened the Recuperative Care Center, where we have, to, to begin with, we have 12 beds on our campus. The hospitals are funding the operating cost for this. They're delighted with the idea. What they're going to do is they're going to release homeless medical patients to us. Instead of having to release them into a motel or onto, or to their cousin's house or places where, on the whole, they don't recover well. They don't have supervision. They don't have case management. They don't have nurses on site. We have all that. So we have 12 beds. There's nurses are supplied by the County Homeless Persons Health Project, which shares our facility with us. Their case managers are supplied by the Homeless Service Center. So we get these patients, they are in, they're in our care, they're going to recuperate well, they're going to be in case management so we can start the conversation about drug rehab or alcohol rehab or best medical practices. They have nurses with them. So the chances of them then revolving back into the emergency room are much lower. 
And the hospitals are so delighted by this idea that they're paying the operating costs. We raised the capital. We got it, got the thing built. And the hospitals are going to, are going to um, pay the operating costs because it's so much cheaper for them. So these are examples of local programs that are what we call smart solutions that follow the, the criteria that Jim outlines. Proven, cost effective, measurable. We, we can look around the country at communities that have come together to solve this problem and are doing it very well. Isn't it interesting that you only met Jim just a few minutes ago? I know. There's so many of us working on this problem, though. Wow. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and uh, there's nothing. It sounds like it's it's we have we might have a solution coming here. Well, it, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Mm-hmm. You alluded to this. How do you get the money? Because um, bless their hearts, you know the 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 Santa Cruz police. I have nothing but the highest respect for the Santa Cruz police. Um, I I've spent time talking to Rick Martinez. He really gets it um he gets the problems and he's as frustrated by them as the rest of us is but he a police sergeant or or he's deputy chief oh, de- okay. he and steve clark are the okay. deputy chiefs okay um and i th- at least i think that's right if if one of the callers knows better than i they can call in and tell me but um but they they really have we have a we we're lucky we have a compassionate caring sensible police force uh, they want to do their job um, but they want to also treat people with respect and it's and and their and their hands are tied to a certain degree we have the we, we are getting some transfer that that's why one of the things I'm so excited about the RCC is we are getting some transfer of funds the hospitals are not spending the money they're giving it to us you know and what 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 Jim suggested was the police wouldn't have to spend the money they could give it to us and I say us I don't mean me I mean just a, a the solution almost, almost re- solution related yeah right yes okay you're listening to the KSCO Saturday special my name is MZ. It's, uh, let's see, 27 minutes before 11 a.m. We're going to be on the air right up until noontime, as we always are. It's an audience participation interview program. The topic today is how, finally, to solve the homeless problem here in Santa Cruz. And we've got, we've got an idea that's been advanced by Jim McBurney, who is here in the studio with us. Uh, Claudia Brown is also with us. She's from the Homeless Services Agency here in Santa Cruz. We invite your participation phone number to call to get on the air is 831-479-1080 or if you want to participate via email you can send an email to mz at ksco.com we already have a uh, caller who's been on the line for a bit here let's bring bring up uh, rory in watsonville hey rory welcome to KSCO. thanks for waiting you bet. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, you know, it's interesting living here in Watsonville. I don't see near the homeless uh, population here in Watsonville that I see in Santa Cruz. And I know, I believe Watsonville is the second largest city in the county after Santa Cruz. And I, I wonder why the population continues to grow in Santa Cruz. And I'm, I have a problem with people trying to figure it out and do, you know, fix it. But I'm I'm mystified at why it seems like they go to Santa Cruz, but they won't come to, say, uh, Watsonville or even at Salinas. Uh, somehow, Santa Cruz is is appealing, so there's got to be a reason for that. I think you need to fix that first. And the other thing is, you're, there's no way you're going to take care of somebody for $800 a month with all the follow-up care, housing, food, 
treatment, psychoanalysis, and so on and so forth. And so I have a suggestion is that you find if you have people here that are breaking the law in many different ways, whether it's drug abuse, vagrancy, disturbances, thievery, whatnot, why don't you find out where those people came from and send them, give them a one-way Greyhound ticket back to their home community and just send them out. You know, it's kind of a nice way of giving them the bums rush. You know, you'd reduce a whole lot cheaper. You'd reduce the population a lot faster if you just sent them away back to where they came from. Well, Claudia has an answer for you, Rory. Yes. Hey, Rory. You know, uh, one of the programs that I didn't mention is we do have a program administered by the Homeless Services Center and funded by the city of Santa Cruz, and it's called Homeward Bound. And what that is, is if somebody is stranded in Santa Cruz, they aren't from Santa Cruz, but they're homeless here, and they have um, family or a home or a job or some supportive system anywhere else, we will buy them that ticket. Uh, so, so the 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 fact is that we uh, this is a very pro- popular program, both with the people who it's whom to whom it is serving and with the city itself. Right, but the population continues to grow. So it does, somehow, Rory. But the, there's a, there's Santa Cruz is is a magnet for the homeless, so called, and I see a lot of young people that are uh, completely out of sorts, and I don't know what. You know, obviously they came from a uh, busted home somewhere else. But it, I think it's the responsibility of those communities to take back these individuals and deal with them themselves instead of just dumping them. They're literally being dumped here in Santa Cruz County and all along coastal California. Santa Barbara's had an issue for years as well. It seems like a red carpet gets rolled out and people, you know, they build it and they'll come. You know, they just keep coming. And I was in Santa Cruz I, uh, last uh, Sunday afternoon. They had a a birthday party, impromptu party in at Depot Park, there by the skate, the skate park for the uh, not skate, excuse me, bike bike ramp park. And there was a young man, probably in his early mid twenties, and just back off in the corner, no shirt on, which is not a big deal. But he had his arm up in a like he was looking at his right elbow, and the whole time we we're there, an hour, the guy's picking at his skin and talking to himself. And I, that's just one guy. And he's just completely out of his mind. And you're not going to be able to take care of him for $800 a month plus the thousands of others that just keep coming. It's going to, it's going to, I mean, you're well meaning and that's fine, but you're using public dollars mostly, I suspect. I doubt this is privately funded. And it's going to, it's going to eventually metastasize and it's going to keep spreading and growing the the, the solutions so far are not working and you got to do something jim different. has a response for you rory go ahead santa jim. Cruz city and the citizens of santa cruz have to do something different yes hi rory yeah. it's it's jim how are you today i'm well jim good to hear you good hey thank you very much um i certainly agree with your reducing the demand uh in Santa Cruz for homeless people, which I think is what you're saying. And uh, my solution to that is we got to make Santa Cruz less fun. Correct. And that's where the whole... Don't don't take away the boardwalk. (laughs) 
<laughs> I meant less fun. Less, less fun for the right people. Less I know. <laughs> well, what about the left? <laughs> yeah, this is where the stopping the revolving door by strict outpatient services and case management and compliance comes in. This is where an abuse is not fun. Come to Santa Cruz and have a blast. Get in the revolving door system, pick up your food stamps, etc., and get high all the time. That's fun. What's not fun is having a stricter judiciary, having a stricter police prosecution of n nuisance crimes. And, Amen. And putting folks on an effective way of solving the core problem, which is their addiction. And we talked about how to do it for using an abuse for alcohol and cocaine addicts follicle testing for meth addicts and other treatments for heroin, does heroin abuse, addicts. Does anabuse work for uh, the meth crowd? Uh, no, I, no, no, it just the works guy, for... The guy I saw last Sunday afternoon, at least my son tells me, I don't know, I you know, I did my time smoking pot back in the day, but I didn't I didn't uh, take speed or anything close to what they're doing now, but he said, oh yeah, that guy's, that guy's on meth. I mean, he's, he's out of his mind. Yeah, Anabuse is FDA approved, but only for alcohol and cocaine. Uh, there are other uh, outpatient services that are needed to deal with meth. Meth is a particularly addictive drug with a 90% remission rate and uh, very hard to cure. But it, it once Can again, you need, you, on that? Yeah, you need strict uh, withdrawal and you need strict follow-up on outpatient services, and that's only done with the kind of increased funding for Claudia's group and other groups that deal with uh, rehab and sober living environments called SLEs in town. So, You know, the other thing, the, uh, Lori, is we are just, in Santa Cruz, we are really low on um, supportive drug rehabilitation. We, <clears throat> a, lot of the, a lot of the folks, a lot of homeless folks would actually get off drugs if they had rehabilitation available to them, but they can't pay $8,000 a month. Which is about wow. what it costs. Um, eight thousand a month. Yeah, thirty days of oh, rehab can cost oh, oh. eight to ten thousand dollars. These, you know, we oh. don't have that kind of money, Rory. Um, and so, even if a homeless person, we, I have, I have case in I, many cases of uh, homeless folks that have been to our campus who would be more than willing to go through rehab if we could find them a bed, and we can't. Um, and that's one of the things that Rick Martinez spoke to at one of the one of the um, public safety task force meetings, as I recall, was this whole idea of we need more rehab. The other thing that's come up is we need fewer alcohol outlets. Santa Cruz is swimming in alcohol. Um, I don't remember what all the numbers were, but the police was ta the police were talking about how many alcohol outlets we have and how to start slowing that down. Because the truth is that we have some very interesting and unique problems in Santa Cruz. We have three million people a year who come here to party. That makes alcohol and drugs very easy to get. Um, these are not folks, these are, these are tourists. These aren't, these aren't people that are coming here to take advantage of services right, other than the boardwalk. Right. Um, right. So we so we have some unique problems that we have to work around. But what that what that raises is is a point that I think was implicit in some of the things Jim said and probably even implicit in some of the things you're saying is that we have to come together as a county community and agree on an approach and then we have to stick to it. 
and we have to come up with something that and I would because I'm because I'm um, sort of biased towards smart solutions I would say that anything we have to come up with has to be proven, cost-effective, and measurable. We, there is so much research done on homelessness, which is a sad truth because it's a big problem across the nation. We just need to look at the research and say, okay, you reduced, you, you know, Cleveland or Portland or Chicago reduced your homelessness by 25% over the last year. How did you do it? And, and, and we should work on that. The one last point that I want to make, Rory, is, um, the idea that so many of these people come from somewhere else. <clears throat> and I hear this a lot. I hear the magnet theory a lot. And if you read the newspapers, if you read what New York City says about homelessness, if you read what Columbia, North Carolina says about homelessness, if you read what Portland says about homelessness, they all use the word magnet. Every city in the nation believes it's a magnet for homelessness. We're not all magnets for homelessness. The homeless in Santa Cruz... Um, According to the last census, in 2011, 68% of our population was last housed in Santa Cruz, many of them for three years or more. And this last census, 72% of the folks that are homeless came from Santa Cruz. And when I say came from, I don't necessarily mean born here, although a lot of them were. I mean last had a house. They owned a house or rented a house in Santa Cruz when they became homeless. So, and that's true across the country. It's roughly 70% across the country. Um, I don't know if that matches this, the, the number of people who, you know, sort of ge- generally drift around the country. If that's about a 30% number, uh, that would be interesting to know. Uh, but so these are, these are our people. And the other scary thing about the homeless census that came out is that we have about 9,000 families in the county of Santa Cruz who say they are housing someone who would otherwise be homeless. So I, don't, I don't doubt that. So, so what's happened is um, we, are, we have about 9,000 more people who are on the edge of homelessness. Uh, so the, the the problem is only going to get worse and worse and worse until we agree as a as a group on a strategy and implement it. Well, thank you for your time, and I'm sure there's others that want to call in. Thanks for calling, Roy. There's, yeah, you bet. Take there care. sure are. Our next caller is June in Watsonville. June, you're on the air on KSCO. Hi. Um, thank you for this show. As you know, I do appreciate all your shows. Um, the last comments that the lovely woman, and I'm so sorry, please forgive me. What is your name? My name is Claudia. Say it again. Claudia. Claudia, I'm sorry, but you are, thank you. Thank you for knowing what you know, the research and work, the due diligence you've done and what you presented. I do believe uh, safe rehab, safe injection sites, if that needs to be part of it would be great. It's way too expensive. I just footnote. Um, I, wa- hmm, I wonder if that might have something to do with pharmaceutical industry. Okay, another thing I don't appreciate. I do appreciate that Rory called in and was, you know, I believe that all people should be able to speak and communicate. I don't appreciate him saying, well, let's get him a one-way ticket back to here or back to there or whatever. I mean, maybe if that was researched and and somebody took, gave a damn enough to take the time to find out who that person's family is and get them going on their life in their former place, fine. But that's what the mayor of New York did, sent people out 
one-way tickets to San Francisco. And thanks to uh, Ronnie Reagan, a lot of people were, doors were open at institutions and they were let go, which became part of the homeless. I know there are a lot of problems. I know that this is so, um, I, I'm sta- understating this, but I really question when somebody wants to get, take somebody and ship them out to another place in the same, what is supposedly the same country, the United States of America. It's not like one state and another state are not related. So I just ask people to have a heart and care. And I also, though I'm not specifically affiliated with, I want to commend Robert Norse and his crew and Huff because they really, for years and years and years, have put a lot of effort out to help relate to people about issues going on, mm-hmm. as well as um, Michael's <coughs> Relay Radio Station. Thank you. Well, you make a couple of good points. Um, Thank you very much. You make a couple of good points. One of them is education. You know, we all need to know the facts. I, I so appreciate uh, meeting Jim and knowing that he's done some research and talking to other people who are really studying the problem. You know, Santa Cruz is trying to come to grips with with the reality of the problem and the truth of it. The second point that you made was you you talked about shipping people um, shipping people around. Uh, this this idea of the of the magnet theory. If it if it turned out that about thirty percent of the folks in Santa Cruz, it's twenty eight percent, I guess, um, came here from somewhere else at some point, um, and that's true across the country. If we all just started buying bus tickets, uh, you know, we'd end up just with thirty percent of the population roaming the country. Um, we on the Homeward Bound program, I think the city of Santa Cruz is, is particularly enlightened in this regard. This, the city funded the Homeward Bound program in order to make sure that we did look at where a person wanted to be. And did they have family? Did they have support system? Did they have a job? And if those things are true, somebody wants to go somewhere and has a supportive system there, we buy them the ticket. Yes, uh, June, I have a comment also. You mentioned Robert Norris uh, at Huff. Um, I was interested when I visited the website uh, in looking at the top priorities of Huff, which are listed on the website, and noticing the glaring omission that getting permanent housing for homeless was not one of the Huff top five priorities. They seem to be more interested in things I would consider homeless rights, the right to do this and that, but not addressing what I think Claudia and I agree is the main uh, problem here, which is lack of permanent stable housing and a transition out of the problems that they're in. Yeah, I totally agree. The, the, the only solution to homelessness is really housing, which strikes me as not a very profound statement, <laughs> but it seems to be a profound answer that has taken us a while to get to. Um, in order to reduce homelessness, we have to have more supportive, affordable housing. Okay, we have, <clears throat> we have a pregnant pause here. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we're having some technical problems today that are that's really um, unfortunate here. But uh, June in uh, Watsonville, did you get your uh, questions? And uh, did you, I, I heard some great comments from you. Did you get them? Uh, get your questions answered? 
Yeah, can you still hear me? I don't know. Yes, I hear you fine. Can oh you not? God. Can you well, not I hear can... me? Juan, but yes, thank you, okay. and thank you to Jim as well. I didn't mean to exclude you. You're both. I understand the. I I know some things what you're saying about the that that what you know not having housing that housing is an issue. It is. There's so many aspects of that, right? But um, kudos to all of you. Okay, and great. Thank you. Four seven nine ten eighty is the phone number to call if you want to uh, join us here on the Saturday special. Uh, we're talking about solving the homeless problem, and I think we're making some pretty good steps forward here uh, uh, in in this uh, in this direction. Um, and we would like uh, very much for uh, anyone to participate in the program here. Uh, if you would like to email, the email use uh, the e- email address to use is mz at ksco.com. Okay, our computers are not working at all, so I'm going to use my iPhone uh, to read the email here that, uh, my gosh, it looks like there's uh, it's being sent to uh, um, a number of people here. Uh, okay, Seth. MZ, Claudia offers more rehab as a solution, but the numbers on rehab successes is around 6% at best. And even if you get rid of all of the booze outlets in town, they would still get it just like they get illegal drugs. That's from Sam in Capitola. What do you say to Sam? Sam, I think that's right. I mean, if, 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 if people want to get drugs or alcohol, they will get them. Um, my comment was really based more on making it a little bit more difficult. It doesn't solve the problem. Alcoholism and drug addiction are huge, huge driving problems. And I don't know what the success rate on rehab is, um, or, or what you're basing it on. One, one of the, you may, you may very, very well be right. What doesn't seem to work very well is putting someone in a 30 day rehab and then essentially saying, okay, you're better now, you're on your own. That doesn't work because very often the people coming out of rehab do not have the life skills necessary to get a job, pay their rent, feed themselves. Um, I, I have I have a lot of examples of folks who wanted to get sober, and, and some of these are just are personal examples, people that I know or people who are in my family who wanted to get clean and sober and had to go through rehab multiple times before they actually could land on their feet because day 31 is a scary day for rehab. And so what we're talking about is we're not talking about just rehab. We're talking about ongoing case management and supportive services that have to do with life skills training. You know, how do you pay your rent? How do you get a job? What kinds of medications do you need to take? All of those sorts of things. You know, the sad thing is that a lot of us, and I'll include myself in this, we're not born knowing how to survive. We're not born knowing how to take care of ourselves. And people who are alcoholics and drug addicts have spent years and years and years um, making wrecks out of their lives. So just waking up and taking the reins is not something that people usually can do by themselves. Okay, it looks... Oh, go ahead, Jim. Yes, uh, was it Sam? Yeah, Seth. I think Seth. Well, it? it was Seth. Seth in the in the from uh, field, and Sam at the in the body of the. So, Seth or Sam. I, okay. I, I, well, that's I, fine. Either one will work. I think. 
my comment, I wanted to comment on two things. One, the $8,000 a month for rehab cost, which I think could be cut down if there was a great expansion of rehab and SLE capability in town as a result of any coordinated program. But secondly, that's only for the first month. What is important in all of the successful studies in L.A., Kansas City, New York, Chicago, is that they have uh, effective case management and outpatient services. This doesn't cost $8,000 a month. This is where the revolving door of today's rehab needs to stop. I think if we ask the people that run the main rehab facilities that there'd be a high percentage of repeat offenders. Now, why is that? That's because there hasn't been effective uh, outpatient uh, services afterward, and that's where the role of abuse, which is a known extremely effective way of dealing with alcoholism and cocaine abuse, would come in. But this is something that requires a change in both the legal system, the police system, and in the rehab system. There's no doubt that rehab isn't effective if it's a revolving door and there's a high remission rate. It needs to be tightened up, and that, I think, is part of the real solution here. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Margaret in Santa Cruz will be our next caller. Margaret, welcome to KSCO. Hi, good morning. You know, the city of Santa Cruz sure was able to house those artists, weren't they, in that uh, that uh, old leather shop? Okay. Um, so yeah, boy, they, they sure did house those artists in a quick, quick curry. But I just want to say... Um, uh, I find that, you know, the show today is just fabulous. And for Jim McBurney to take the time to do such an exhaustive study is, is really truly admirable. And I can really, uh, hear through the airwaves just the great heart of Syrianism that these two guests are, are, are. And, you know, um, the other uh, aspect to homelessness and recovery is is the spiritual aspect of it. I mean, you know, you can go to any home in America tonight and you will see doctors, lawyers, judges, uh, any kind of professional you want. They're getting sloshed. They've got addiction just like everybody else. But you put somebody out on the street, and I'll tell you what, living on the street makes you nuts, makes you crazy. Do you have personal knowledge of that, uh, Margaret, and your phone is cutting out? Oh, I don't know, but, but I just want to say in Santa Cruz we've had... Okay, well, unfortunately we have lost Margaret, so um, <laughs> the hazards okay. of um, the hazards of uh, having cell phones here. Yeah, Margaret, you got to get on a landline or a better place or something. We'd a great call. Thank you for calling four seven nine ten eighty. But um, yeah, uh, um, uh, Claudia has uh, has a response. You know, the last thing that I heard Margaret say is being out on the street makes you crazy, and that is absolutely true. One of the reasons that we're focused on the chronic homelessness in Santa Cruz, and we have almost a thousand chronically homeless in Santa Cruz. Um, that's what the 180 180 campaign is focused on, and one of the reasons that the 100,000 Homes campaign and the 180-180 campaign and all the other campaigns that are associated with this housing chronic homeless is that the chronically homeless really, really cost. 
the city, the county, all of the resources that they use. And, and, and we've got to get them off the street, um, because they are the, they are the bottleneck. They're using 80% of the services that are available to homeless people. And it's another, another one of the 80-20 rules like Jim was talking about earlier. If we get the chronically homeless housed, we free up so many other services for the the folks that are that are newly homeless or temporarily homeless before they spend enough time on the street to be really 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 damaged and that's hugely important wow okay jim you had indicated to me that you were a little frustrated because other media had not give, given this any attention you know is is that yes that uh, that's true mc i th- i don't know Exactly what it is. When I've talked to friends about this uh, concept, which has been a developing one, one interesting thing that comes back is the idea of, Jim, you're fighting the system. Because the homeless are the police, fire, and park department's best customers in their 401k plan. So, I don't... People have said that to you? People have said that to me, yeah. (laughs) And I don't think that's necessarily necessarily the case, because I have a very high respect for the Santa Cruz County and City Police, Fire and Parks Department and I don't think any of them would rather get a dollar of overtime rather than solve uh, the problem of the homeless people that are causing the problems and causing them to waste their time. Um, So, you know, I don't know why it is, but when you look at the complexion of the people, the groups, the public safety task force that are uh, working on this problem, uh, it is, uh, there are a lot of police, fire, and park sympathetic folks on there. And I don't know to what extent the overtime con- component of... Uh, we'll discuss more of that okay. next hour. We're at the end of this hour here on KSCO's Saturday special. Um, we will be on the air right up until noontime. I think we have a new case commentary coming up. It's KSCO Santa Cruz, Salinas, Monterey, San Jose. It's 11 a.m. Here is CBS Healthcare. News. Healthcare.gov did not launch as smoothly as an Amazon or eBay, and Republicans like Michigan Congressman Fred Upton are calling it a disaster. This is more than a website problem. And frankly, the website should have been the easy part. Upton's House Committee held a hearing on the trouble-plagued website this week. Administration officials say improvements are being made every day, and it will be running smoothly in a few weeks. It has been a huge headache for the administration. They believe though, that they have really turned a corner now that they've been able to really assess some of the problems with the website. They say that they have a punch list of fixes that they are going to tackle one by one, and they hope to have all the work done by the end of November. CBS's Jeff Pegues in Washington. Some people lost everything in floods that devastated parts of Colorado. CBS's Stephen Kaufman spoke to one couple now having to start over. Tom Sellers and his wife Sheila were left with next to nothing after floodwaters raced through the big Thompson Canyon. They lost their home along Highway 34, as did many others. But they also lost their bed and breakfast in the nearby town of Glenhaven. And Tom Sellers says that really puts their future in doubt. Retirement's gone. That's what we intended to retire on. And now that we've lost the business, we'll have to go back to work. See what else we can do. Sellers describes his life as confusing and in turmoil. Stephen Kaufman, CBS News, Estes Park, Colorado. 
Visitors to Paris's famed Eiffel Tower saw more than they expected today. A man who went out on a limb with a message. CBS's Elaine Cobb in the French capital. For two hours, the Greenpeace activist was suspended a hundred yards above the ground between the pillars of the famous tower. There he unfurled a banner saying, Free the Arctic 30, a reference to 28 Greenpeace members and two journalists still held by Russian authorities after a protest on an offshore oil platform last month. Greenpeace wants the French Prime Minister to raise the matter with President Vladimir Putin when he's in Russia next week. The activist was brought down by firefighters and fined $10 for illegally climbing the tower. Elaine Cobb, CBS News, Paris. It was hat, scarf and glove weather for much of the East Coast this morning. Winter-like temperatures hit at least 10 states. National Weather Service meteorologist Brian Hurley. Temperatures in the 20s extended down into the deep south. A talented comedian has died. Marsha Wallace played teacher Edna Krabappel on The Simpsons. Spend it on something fun. Go wild! Ah! Right, Seymour? Wallace also had the role of Carol the Receptionist on The Bob Newhart Show. She would have turned 71 on November 1st. Fire officials in New York City say there were no smoke alarms and no electricity in the Bronx apartment where three young boys died in a fire. The power was cut off because of unpaid bills. This is CBS News. Chris Matthews, host of MSNBC's Hardball. Here on Hardball, you can expect me to discuss history as it relates to what's happening now. You can expect to hear me analyze what politicians are doing today with what I've seen other politicians do before. And you can expect me to fight for the causes that stirred me in my 20s when passions rose, minds were set, and life missions accepted. And this is Hardball. Hardball with Chris Matthews. Weeknights at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on MSNBC. It's me, your bathroom medicine cabinet. I see you naked, know how often you floss, and watch you pluck unsightly hairs. I can keep a secret, but you need to know. Your kids have been taking your prescriptions to get high. I couldn't keep it quiet, because prescription drug abuse now causes more deaths than cocaine and heroin ODs combined. So please, mind your meds. For tips on safeguarding your meds and your family, visit the partnership at drugfree.org. Good morning. You have attuned in to KSCO AM 1080, Santa Cruz, San Jose, Salinas, and Monterey, as well as KOMY 1340. It is now 4 minutes and 15 seconds after 11 a.m. on a beautiful Saturday morning of October 26, 2013. Aaron Shore here bringing you your local King of the Hill traffic and Central Coast weather. Taking a look at your roadways, I am happy to report no signs of any accidents and or traffic delays all highways in and around the Monterey Bay area, traveling up to Santa Clara, Silicon Valley area. This includes Highway 1, as well as 17, both north and southbound directions, are traveling up into the limit, as well as highways in and around central Monterey Bay inland. Highways 101, 152, 156, 129, and Highway 68. Temperatures continuing to rise throughout the better part of the morning and in the afternoon. You're going to be hitting the upper 70s. It is now 5 minutes and 10 seconds after 11 a.m. Stay tuned for this second hour of Saturday Special Next. And now a special commentary by Kay Swirling. The following is a KSCO commentary. Here is Kay Swirling. 
This is in my book, and I wrote it in May 2010. This bewilders me that I have lived so long, but never heard of the paradoxical commandments until recently. Here's the story. Evidently, the paradoxical commandments were written by an 18-year-old named Kent Keith, a freshman at Harvard in 1968. He's probably over 65 years old now. The commandments were later found posted on Mother Teresa's wall in India. One wonders how an 18-year-old could have the wisdom and depth of understanding of human nature to be so right on and so humanly generous as Kent Keith had to be to come up with those mature thoughts. It's like finding meaning in a crazy world. And how many of us achieve such wisdom? I wonder also, how can an 18-year-old have become so disenchanted so early in his life? That is a paradox, too. And maybe there was a little bit of paranoia in him also. So, here are the paradoxical commandments. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for the few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed tomorrow. Build anyway. People really need help but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. And finally, give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. So much for the paradoxical commandments. For KSCO, this is Case Whirling. The following is a KSCO comment. Oh, everything is going wrong. This is what was supposed to happen. Oh, hello, darling. I hate to hang up on you, but I'm sorry, baby, but I have to go. It's time for that wonderful record show. I suppose you could say it's uh, it's refreshing that um, that we don't have any controversy today. I mean, it's great to know that there's a there's a solution in the works here. I'm sorry, baby, but I really gotta go to KSCO Radio. Bye. Maybe 
that's why we have a small fraction of the phone calls that I thought we would have had with this particular program. 479-1080, if you want to uh, give us a call, we're talking about solving the homeless problem, and, and I think we're, and I think we're going to do it. I think we're going to do it on this radio program, uh, here on your favorite radio station. Uh, you want to send an email, mz at ksco.com. The browser now works. Thank you, uh, Richard B. Luther II, our engineer extraordinaire. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the rest of the stuff works here, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. If it doesn't, we'll just be entertained by the, the, uh, uh, things with, uh, live radio. Alrighty. Um, so how, how do we, how do we get the ball rolling here? Um, I asked Jim where the money is going to come from, and he said from the savings, uh, from what it's going to cost. Well, how, how do you capture those savings? I mean, don't you have to do something first? Don't you have to create some sort of a seed fund somewhere and presume that the savings uh, that will result in the reduction of the cost of the traditional ways of doing things um, can carry over and fund it that way? But but you got to start the fund first. Well, Who know- wants to start the fund? That one eighty one eighty campaign is a really good place to look. Um, what we've done, we I say we, I, I haven't done it. A bunch of other smart people have done it. Um, have have housed a hundred and I think it's hundred and seven people so far. Right now, there are a couple of folks uh, associated with UCSC who are trying to measure the savings. There's a program underway. I think there was an article about it about an interview with these women in uh, Santa Cruz Weekly about a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to quantify what these savings are. We've borrowed ideas from other cities. We've we've come up with sort of projections of savings. Um, Rory, Rory found um, that the $800 for permanent supportive housing sounded too low. Uh, you know, maybe he's right, but we're going to know. We're going to get those quantified savings, and we're going to look at whether or not we are achieving what we hope to be achieving. Remember, one of the things we said about smart solutions is they are measurable and cost-effective. So we're borrowing what other other cities are doing. We're looking at how they're coming up with the savings. And I think what will happen, MZ, is the more – if, in fact, it looks like it's successful, we're permanently supportively housing people and we're saving money, we will get more support. The support will build. And it's one of these – Like a magnet – Pay me now or pay me later. Yeah. You know, we're paying yeah. for the homeless now. We're paying sure. big bucks for the homeless now. Let's see if we can't get them housed and pay less in terms of human capital as well as expenses. Okay, thank you, Claudia Brown. What do you have to say, Jim uh, McBurney? Well, my thoughts are is that what's needed is a comprehensive uh, financial projection as to what the costs and savings would be that all of the major constituents uh, buy into. For example, sounds like you've done all that already. <laughs> Pretty close, don't you think? Well, I uh, I do financial projections and business plans, and you know, investors like to see a set of numbers that have uh, a realistic assumption behind each number, right? So, this is a process, and it's tricky because um, Claudia mentioned earlier, and I agree completely that it needs to look at both county, city, and to the extent state, and to the extent that the 100,000 home program provides federal money. That's a source of uh, money. 
So if we looked at county and city and we looked at how much savings uh, would accrue in police overtime if uh, the top 500 uh, chronically homeless folks were all of a sudden off the street, and if we looked at the fire departments for both the county and the city as the how much savings, if any, would accrue in fire overtime, because when a fireman's out on a call and they're going to the hospital and it's a shift change, there's an immediate overtime effect. So to the extent that the homeless population causes uh, shift change related uh, uh, overtime circumstances for fire, then that's that's another area of cost savings. Because if you reduce the demand for the fire services, you reduce the demand for overtime. And the same for parks. I mean, we're now having to put extra people on parks to sweep the cows for needles. And the same for what's happening with the Evergreen Cemetery. The cemetery director is now going to have to hire someone to roust the homeless from Evergreen uh, Evergreen Cemetery. Wouldn't it be better if they weren't there, if they were getting help? Much better. Okay. We're going to go back to the phone. Interestingly, I, I made my comment about... Uh, not realizing that we would have so few phone calls, that all of a sudden we had total phone calls. The whole board was full. (laughs) And then uh, 30 seconds later, we're down to two or three phone calls. So anyhow, uh, 479-1080 is the phone number to call in Area 831 if you want to get on the radio with us here to discuss the homeless solution for a change instead of the homeless problems that we usually discuss. Um, and uh, and we have plenty of space here on the line. Now, uh, Jill and Aptos, welcome to KSCO, your favorite radio station, yes? Jill? Oh, pardon me, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't have yeah, no, you, um, no, you, thank you. Your favorite oh, radio station, yes? Absolutely. Good. I um, realize that money is a part of everything in the society that we live in these days. That money, is money, exactly money. Exactly right. So yeah, as as Jim is saying and Claudia, things have to be analyzed and looked at how much money is and do cost comparisons and all that. But there are many, many layers to this onion, to this situation of things that need to happen to help all of us, to help homeless people. But I'd like to say one thing that is maybe underlying, but I'd like it to be more overt, is that the one consistent thing that needs to be amongst all of us is respect. And it's respect for homeless. If they're homeless, it's not because they're, ooh, you know, or the dirty this or that. They need to be respected. What's happened in their lives? And I want to say that a part of any program that you're doing, there needs to be this umbrella, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a teacher and an educator. And that is to find out, you know, individually care enough about the people to find out what the heck happened. Why are you in this situation? Yeah, I understand, as Jim said, that um, a lot of people say, we don't want housing. We like what living out in the open or whatever. But what happened? How did they get to that point? We know if you do research in prisons, you find that, you know, more than 90% of the people in prisons have lack of or no serotonin or endorphins. Those are the neurotransmitters and chemicals that you need in order to be a happy person. So I would probably think that a lot of these people don't have that either, and we need to care about that. We need to realize they are respectable people. They need to have fun. They need to have rights. And 
please hold that word respect as the overlying thread for everything we do. What a great call. Thank you, Jill and Aptos. That really added to the program. Really appreciate it. Uh, next caller will be none other than Thomas on Summit Road. Hi, Thomas. You're on the air. None other than Thomas. Hi, Michael. Hey. <laughs> I just want to commend you for having this program. It's, it's incredibly wonderful that we're addressing this issue. Well, um, Jim McBurney is the real guy who should be commended because he right. sent me the emails a long time ago, you know, and and um, and I just didn't get around to making it happen until yesterday when I realized I didn't have a subject for today. So, <laughs> anyway, well, you, so thank, you, thanks to Jim. You made it happen, and thank you, Jim. I second and third and fourth what that woman said for this man to give his time and energy and knowledge for this problem is very commendable. And the woman also, and that last caller, how can I, oh, how can I follow? What a wonderful call that was. You know, she touched on a little bit on one of the things that I want to bring up, and I'm going to bring this up out of personal experience. And I come from an alcoholic family, which is an addictive problem. And I'm 63, by the way, and I had, I have that problem because it somewhat comes in families, you know, whether it's genetic or what. And, it's in some of my nephews and nieces, and the point that I want to make is that there's a there's a diet, nutrition, biochemical aspect to this problem that I don't think is being addressed effectively. And the reason I say that is because I was, and in the past, an alcoholic, and I can now drink when I want and stop when I want, and I'm no longer an alcoholic. And common knowledge is that. Once you are, you always are. That's just not true, and I'm living proof of it. And the thing that I did different was spent, I don't know, 25, 35 years studying food and nutrition, how that relates to making us healthy and happy. And that's related to the last lady's call about the serotonin and the other thing that makes us feel good and solid and safe in the world. Part of the problem, I firmly believe, is the diet we've created in America, and that's based on economics as opposed to nutrition. When you've got people's brains being trashed by junk, and they're not getting the proper nutrition, they're not going to create those serotonin and other things in your brain that make you feel well. I did that. I spent my life studying how to do that, and I did that. So I just want to say that that's something that I didn't hear addressed except from the last caller, and I think it's part of the long-term solution that maybe somebody needs to look into and study. And I would I would offer to anybody my personal experience and knowledge on that level of it. Well, how how does one get in touch with you then, Thomas, on Summit Road? The way you want. Could I give your phone number? Hello? Yeah. Hello, hello. I'm still here. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you're yeah you were cutting out here. Can I give your phone number? I have it here on the screen. You certainly can. Area eight three one two two seven nineteen nineteen. That's Thomas on Summit Road who wants to help. Yeah, go go ahead, uh, uh, Claudia. I think Thomas makes uh, makes an interesting point. Health is definitely compromised when you're homeless. You know, sleeping out in the rough is not 
I mean, unless you've, unless you've got all the right equipment and you're on a camping trip, it's just not a healthy place to be. Um, the homeless are, um, are very often suffering health problems. And that's one of the, what, that's actually one of the ways we get our arms wrapped around them. Because the Homeless Persons Health Project is very often the place, the only place the homeless population has to go. And it's right on the campus with the Homeless Services Center. So when people come in, for a health-related issue, an injury, an illness, then that's our opportunity to meet them and start the casework process. So that's one entry into the Homeless Services Center. The, uh, the caller before who talked about dignity, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's very hard to like or feel respect for some of the people we see wandering around. Um, that Rory, I, I think it was Rory talked about the guy talking to himself in Derby Park. That's scary. Nobody, nobody feels warm and fuzzy towards people like that. Um, they, they scare us off. But th- this idea of human dignity is, is hugely important. And one of the things we're doing at the Homeless Service Center is we're, um, we're participating in a national program, the HMIS system, which is the Homeless Management Information System where everybody will, who uses our services will have a card, and we will have met them. We will, have, we will know their names. We're trying to know the names of all of the people we serve so that we start having a relationship with them. What and a that's, great idea. That's Absolutely. part of being treated with dignity. You are mm-hmm. not just a person out there. You are Sam or Jim or Claudia or Michael. And we know who you are, and we know why you're there. And slowly but surely, we build the kind of trust that needs to go into case management. The Homeless um, uh, Services Center. Center, good. Okay, thank you. Is located uh, on River Street? 115 Coral Street. 115 Coral, the corner of River mm-hmm, and Coral, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, in Santa Cruz. Uh, Thomas, thank you for a great call. Appreciate it. Uh, our phone number uh, for your participation is 479-1080 here at KSCO Studios. That's in Area 831. You can email mz at ksco.com. And I'm going to hit the uh, take next button here. And that's going to put Sandy in Capitola on the air. Hi, Sandy. You're on. Hey, MZ. I think this is a good program. You are my favorite radio station. I hate to be the Grinch that stole Christmas. Uh oh. But people are tired of the revolving door. They're tired of being made to feel that they are callous and uncaring if they're tired of having their property stolen. And they're tired of being belittled if they say, gee, I would like a homeless person not sleeping in front of my business. And the sad thing is that the most successful rehab program is AA. And that doesn't cost $8,000 a month. All it takes is somebody saying, I'm ready to change my life and start going. And the other problem, and the gentleman who's there with you is right, that a lot of things have to be changed is you, you don't have any serotonin in your brain. We have drugs to replenish it. But we have laws that say we can't make you take them. We have lawyers that sign these people up for Social Security disability. We know more people die the first of the month when the checks come out. I mean, it seems that we have poured money everywhere. And the basic problem is you can't help somebody until they're ready to help themselves. And uh, at what point... Is enough enough? 
probably these folks' families did all they could for as long as they could, and then they could not manage them anymore. So now we're here in the with the public, and, you know, people are tired of the property crimes, the messes. It is terrible, but they're also tired of being treated like they're uncaring SOBs if they think that enough is enough. So... That's just what I, I think. This Sandy, is a good program. Uh, and and then you're a great caller, and you are not the Grinch that stole Christmas. No, not by a long shot. No. no I, Sandy, I am so sympathetic. You're absolutely right. Um, people are tired, and um, and 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 everybody that I, I can't think of anybody I've ever talked to who said no, I don't want to end homelessness. Um, for whatever reason, you know, because it's affecting you personally, because it's affecting the beauty of the city you live in, because it's breaking your heart, because it's costing you money to clean up after. You know, there, there are all kinds of good reasons why we hate homelessness. Um, but that doesn't mean we are Grinches and it doesn't mean we hate the homeless. It just means That's we true. hate the problem. And, we hate and, the problem. And you're exactly right. We are pouring money into this problem. It costs us money. That's a lot of what Jim was talking about earlier. And we have to, we have to spend the money in smart ways. That this whole idea of smart solutions. I also completely agree with you about AA. And, and, and what we're finding works, Sandy, is when we put someone in permanent supportive housing, what that means is, of course, you can't hold someone down and force them to take their drugs. But you can work with them and try to make sure that they are following best practices. We can get people to AA meetings once they're housed. It's harder when they're out on the street. Um, we can get people medication once they're housed and they're under the care of a doctor, um, it's harder to do when they're out on the street. So once we get our arms wrapped around these folks, we have a pretty high success rate. And the thing about what you said about families doing the best they can, absolutely. I'm sure families have done the best they can. But most of us who are parents, and I'm, I'm in that number, are not professional caregivers. We're just good parents. And so sometimes what we need is we need professional help to get these folks on their feet. But how long, you know, I mean, let's use Lindsay Lohan. Money is no object. <laughs> a great <Okay>. example. <laughs> how many times has she been to rehab? All right. And she has the finances and the wherewithal to keep lawyers employed and all other things. But if money were just the issue, she would have been cured a long time ago. Yeah. Excellent, you know, point. Enough, excellent, excellent point. Go ahead, Jim. A, hi, Sandy. Oh, oh, hi. Hi, it's Jim. I'm yes. so glad you brought up the legal dimensions here of the, uh, of the problem. Um, and yes. you made the comment that you can't make people take any particular uh, drug. Right. I, I wanted to mention that regarding an abuse, which is part of what I suggested is a, something we should uh, re-look at. And I say re-look at because it's fallen out of favor in the legal community and the judicial system because of two reasons. One, there's uh, an issue that any voluntary program may in fact not be voluntary if it's just an alternative to incarceration. And okay. second, the second issue that is brought up against uh, an abuse or what I consider uh, effective uh, uh, outpatient treatment uh, is that it 
that an abuse because of the reaction of an alcoholic getting sick if they drink um, and throwing up can be challenged on the grounds that it's cruel and unusual punishment. Now, I recognize that we're going to need a holistic solution, something that looks at the legal, the criminal, the pharmacological, the psychological, the physiological solutions that we've talked about. This is a major holistic solution needed from both an individual and a societal point of view. And the fact that we have one of the brightest set of legal folks uh, in in California, in the form of Bob Lee and his uh, prosecutors and in the form of the district attorney, Mr. Barazone, or, or the city attorney, Mr. Barazone, I believe that we can come up with a legal voluntary program where people elect to participate in a, in a compliant uh, aftercare program, after rehab, that would be effective and that would help stop the revolving door. Your points about AA is very important. Uh, and your points about the revolving door are also very important. Well, you know, there's a drug there. I think it's naltrexone. I've been trying to remember the name. There is, there is a, you know, it's a, a narcotic or an opioid uh, antagonist that you can give to people who are addicted. And people who have professional licenses, if they want to keep practicing medicine or nursing or this sort of thing, are required to take it. But one of the problems to keep their license, but one of the problems is, making them stay compliant. Yes, that is, and, that's stopping and, the revolving door. And that's stopping the revolving door, and you have a big hammer for these folks. So uh, it's, you know, it, it, it is a tragedy. And, uh, you know, with, with Obamacare, we clearly are going to have rationed health care. And if you don't think I was the Grinch that stole Christmas before, you're going to think I'm the Grinch that stole Christmas now. This may not be worth the effort oh, okay. and the resources. One, one head is nodding in the studio. Is the the other head isn't? Oh, the uh, other uh, head is thinking. The oh. other head is thinking. Well, my my nodding uh, was my nodding uh, was basically that Obamacare is going to take over the cost of a lot of this come January one. So a lot of the, yeah. that's another source of funding. I mean, for aggressive outpatient compliance uh, therapy after rehab. Oh, I don't think you're so you're going nodding. To get you're that nodding. Out of hold on a second, Sandy. So Jim, uh -huh. your nodding was not necessarily in agree was not in agreement with what Sandy said that come. Jan when, when Obamacare kicks in, it's... it's oh, no, I was agreeing that it's going to be good because it'll remove the okay, cost from the Okay, now here's a finally, finally a little controversy here on KSCO. I mean, it's nice to be positive. It's nice for everybody to agree that there's going to be, there's a good solution finally. But, Sandy, did you just hear what, 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 um, what Jim said? I did hear what he said, and I don't know how Jim is, but I have a mother who's 90. And uh, I can tell you that there's $700 million of savings out of Medicare. I think my 90-year-old mother is more deserving of care than someone who has had countless opportunities to straighten themselves out and hasn't done it. So these are the kinds of choices that we're going to be forced into looking at. And if Obamacare funnels money out of, I don't know, do you have good knees and hips? Would you rather have your hip replaced or your knee replaced or 
see this go the other way. Well, I mean, Sandy, you're, you're, exactly. you're talking about the issue of Obamacare from the fact that it might cut into Social Security funding, which isn't at all what I was talking about. I was looking at this strictly from a financial cost projection point of view. We have a reality which this country is facing. Uh, it's a legal program. It is going to happen. It basically yeah. uh, taxes the young and healthy in exchange for people who have problems like our chronic homeless folks and our addicts, and it is a reality. So it's a budgeting assumption that will come up with a number come January 1 that the costs that are being borne by the local hospitals are now going to be borne by the government. Well, so, and from the standpoint of medical care, yes. But from the standpoint of what do you do about the chronic homeless issue, so I probably mixed up some things there. But <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you're at least, you're, you're a part you're a partial Grinch, but not a complete one. Partial Grinch. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. But the, the issue of people not being that that they can choose to treat themselves or not, and we are our hands are totally tied. I mean, there are treatments. And they refused them. Yes, there are. That, I, is, I, that I, is the elephant in the room. Sandy, I, I'm not, I, I agree. There are some people that are not going to be helped. Lindsay Lohan among them, perhaps. Um, some people are really, really difficult to help. That doesn't mean that everyone is, however. I think we have, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, out of these 3,500 people that we have homeless at any given point in time, let's say we managed to house 30% of them, that they really wanted to work with us, that they were really on track to get um, to get into programs and stay in programs, that they wanted to be successful. That would be huge. You know, and and and, and, the, and and you're right. There are always going to be some people who can't be helped. I remember when my children were newborn, my husband would say, "Well, can't you make them eat their breakfast?" Well, how exactly? How would you suggest I do that? Force feed. <laughs> so you're right. You can't make people do things they don't want to do, but you can invite them. You can make it. Uh, you can make it attractive for them. I really get what you're saying about the fact that. You look at people and you think, well, why did you choose this lifestyle? Why did you choose drugs or alcohol or or living on the streets? And and it's and it's a it, and I'm very sympathetic with that point of view. I so I sometimes fall into that myself. But the truth is, a lot of these folks don't have choices. We have so many faucets that are pouring people in to homelessness. One in four foster care children who age out of foster care are going to be homeless. You know, one in eight veterans who return are going to be homeless. We have faucets opening everywhere that are pouring people into this pool. Let's start pulling some of them out. And the fact of the matter is, while they're in that pool, they are costing us. So whether it seems fair or not fair, and that's a that's a big argument, we are paying for them anyway. Okay, I'd like, uh, now, hold on, Jim. Uh, I, I want to thank Sandy and Capitola. Great call. Nothing but great calls today. That's fantastic. <laughs> but we got to get to a lot of other phone calls. So, so let's, let's move. I want to thank, uh, Sandy and our next caller to the Saturday special. Uh, well, I, I'll just put take next. And the computer will decide who will be next. And it looks like it's going to be da, 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 Rich in Salinas. Rich, thanks yeah, for waiting. Good morning, Almost 20 minutes on hold. Thanks. Well, 
Uh, you know, I have personal experience with all this because I work with the homeless on a daily basis. I don't work through an agency. I do it out of my own pocket and from my own storage. And uh, just last night, I had an alcoholic come by last night, and I talked with him for about an hour about getting into a program. Uh, and uh, as he keeps telling me, he's not a leader. He's a follower. So to try to get him leading the, the horse to water, it's kind of difficult. He wants to go. He just got released from jail because he did some petty theft first time in 10 years. Uh, out of Walmart. And so he goes in and does his few days in jail. They released him. He has $700 restitution, which he'll never be able to pay. And he has to do one, one day of community service. He didn't do the community service because he's an alcoholic. So now he wants to go to jail, serve his time for the one day and 14 days for the $700. And that's his solution to getting clean and sober. And I said, then what? Then you come right back out and do the same thing with your same friends and you don't change. And I suggested... Let me talk to the public defender you had, see if you can get a court-ordered program, because he can't afford a program, because they're $6,000, $8,000. Sun Street here in Salinas is probably touted as the best in the, in the, uh, in the area, and they have a 25% success ratio. That's a 75% failure ratio. And they have people sneaking drugs in over there, because I've known. I've taken people over there. I knew people who were in the program. So the problem is that every one of these homeless addicts that I deal with and I should say this, every one of the homeless people that I know are addicts, alcoholics or drug addicts, or both. They do that because that's the only thing that gives them any happiness in life. At least that's the way they think. They have no way out of the system. They're not trying to get out, even though they would like to get out, and they want their independence. Getting into a housing program of some kind, they're still going to do drugs unless you solve their drug problem or get them off of an addiction. Matter of fact, Dr. Wallach uh, said he had a protocol for getting people off their addiction. You ought to talk to him and, and see what that is. That might be something useful. Yes, hi, Rich. People... It's Jim. Yeah. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Hi, I'm just fine. Thanks for uh, phoning in here. I uh, used to teach clinical psychology in the old days, and I'm not a practicing petitioner, practitioner, but I know that uh, homelessness is a very, very important personal issue uh, when someone is homeless and becomes addicted or was addicted as a cause for homelessness they have very low self-esteem and homelessness just knocks them down further so it makes it harder and harder to climb up this personal wall to get out of the mess that the uh, homeless people who you've observed are primarily uh, addicts uh, way, are when they yes, are down they keep getting kicked around yeah no that's true this is a very very bad personal hole to dig yourself out of so Homelessness also is a biochemical issue, it's a pharmacological issue, it's a dietary issue, as I believe Thomas mentioned earlier, it's a psychological issue, uh, and it's a genetic issue, because alcoholism has been shown to be a factor in uh, a genetic factor. So it requires, uh, as Claudia has mentioned earlier, medical help and a holistic approach to all of these different disciplines in order to help people rebuild their self-respect, get out of the hole that they're in, and solve their problems. So, And, and it started with them wanting to change. They have to get to the point where they're so sick and tired of what they're doing that they actually will make the attempt to change. And that still makes it not perfect. It's, it's, there's no guarantee it's going to work. But... You're going to have to get rid of addiction before you put them into housing. Otherwise, they're just going to bring your drugs back. That's and right. The people, who, the people who do get checks, disability checks, or some kind of check, they're broke the fifth or tenth of every month because the first thing they do is go get their drugs or their alcohol. And their friends, by the way, are not their friends. The, the, 
these people all steal, lie, cheat, and whatever they can do, right, con people. And they'll do it to their friends first, the ones they're doing drugs and alcohol with, because they're the easiest target. If they can't get it there, they'll get it from other sources. I know somebody who steals from a regular business three or four times a week, and he's not been, he's been caught twice. Instead, of he's, well, if he doesn't get caught again, he goes back to prison. But he keeps doing it for the last year, he hasn't been caught. And well, he's they... making $50 to $80 a night at $1,200 approximately a month he's making, more than I get from my VA pension. Well, if they had a if they had an option that they believed would work, which is the kind of program I think we're all talking about putting together, it's going to be much uh, a higher probability of them agreeing to go along with it. You know, I would suggest one thing though is to take these subsidized checks away from them every month. I know one guy who's in the debt into the next check five hundred dollars every month, and then he pays back to the dealer, and then he's back in debt five hundred for the next check. But take the money away so they can't buy the drugs. That might cause more crime. But if you if you give them money and they go out and do the same thing you don't want them to do in the first place, you're giving them money to be a drug addict. Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, listen, Rich, you, you made a wonderful nothing but wonderful calls today. How how was yeah, it? Yeah, it's been a bunch of great calls. This is today. terrific. Yeah, this is this is what talk radio, responsible talk radio that serves the community should be all the time. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for your call to the Saturday special. I also want to thank Major Success for the email that says no veteran. Let's start with homeless vets. No veteran should ever be homeless or jobless. That is the entire email from Major.Success. MZ at KSCO.com is the email uh, address to use. 479-1080 is the phone number to use. And I don't, I want to remind everybody that Kay is still here. A gentleman came by earlier in first hour and was thrilled to be able to sit down and talk with Kay, have a personal session with Kay, and he picked up one of her books. It was great. So uh, Kay will still be here until uh, a little afternoon today if you want to come on down. And, uh, yeah, we, we do want to run those. We're going to take a little break here, uh, and then I'm going to thank our other regular sponsor for the Saturday special after you run these is it four spots and and it's, and it's all for various KSEO things okay go ahead take it away Aaron so these bag ordinances are a real pain in the rear yes who can remember to bring their own bag whenever you buy stuff at a store well we at your favorite radio station have a solution that should solve this problem once and for all our new high quality made in the USA industrial strength reusable KSCO canvas tote bag pick up yours today at KSCO Studios 2300 Portola Drive Santa Cruz only $10.80 each proudly carry it with you everywhere to let all know how intelligent you are I need to remind you about hats KSCO hats the greatest high-quality flex hats you will find anywhere. Easily worth $25, but you can have yours in a choice of vibrant colors for only $10.80 each. Come by KSCO Studios and pick up one or more hats during business hours. Wear it everywhere and be admired by all intelligent people. Very comfortable, very stylish, very smart. Don't delay. Get your precious, precious KSCO hat today. Stickers. Let's talk about stickers. KSCO stickers. Gorgeous red, black, and white stickers designed and printed by Shirt Crafters, our official KSCO promotion gear production company. Put these stickers anywhere you want to make look better. I'm serious. A KSCO sticker makes 
anything look better. Come get your free stickers at KSCO Studios 2300 Portola Drive, Santa Cruz during business hours. Pick up our terrific, useful KSCO canvas tote bags while you're here. They're only $10.80 each and very useful. Get yours today. Do we have a deal for you, our wonderful KSCO listeners? Through the end of this month, you can get a beautiful KSCO made in the USA canvas tote bag containing a coveted KSCO hat, a K's commentary book, a KSCO bumper sticker, and a KSCO sticker, a $60 value for only $25. Come by our KSCO studios at 2300 Portola Drive, Santa Cruz during business hours and take advantage of this very special promotion. Books. K's KSCO commentary books. Do not forget about these cherished gems of wisdom you have heard broadcast by my wonderful mom Kay for the past 15 years. The books are now available at $15 each for the first one, $10 for each additional book purchased at the same time at KSCO Studios 2300 Portola Drive, Santa Cruz. Think of the holidays coming up or get the book for free along with a free KSCO hat with a purchase of a healthy start pack at KSCO Studios. 2300 Portola Drive, Santa Cruz. I want to go and eat at our sponsors this afternoon. I think we should. Well, you, I you should could, later. You should too. Yeah, that'd be great. You can just leave the board. It'll put it on. Put the station on automation. It should be fine. Nah, let's then, not do then that. Then we'll all go to the California Grill in uh, Freedom Corner, of Freedom Boulevard, and Airport Boulevard. Uh, wonderful organic food. The salad, I'm, I'm gonna drool all over the microphone here. The thought of the salad with, uh, wonderful organic salad with, with all kinds of, um, ingredients, right? Uh, that just make your mouth water. With their, with their chunky, uh, tangy tomato, uh, Italian, um, uh, house dressing. Oh my god. And don't forget the Reuben sandwiches. There's just no, and don't forget the special skirt steak. Oh, there are so many things. I want to go there right now. Forget the rest of it. We've, we've, it's been a great show. We've solved the problem. But actually, we do have Alan Boulder Creek and Kurt in Scotts Valley and Joan in Carmel and, and Claudia and Jim right here in the studio. So we better just carry the program to the end. Uh, by the way, um, uh, Code Lee at AOL.com. Oh, Arthur says, Good morning, Michael. One of your listeners mentioned Ronald Reagan's closing of all homeless shelters 40 years ago? Folks in those days were sympathetic to the homeless and mentally needy folks being, I think the term they used was, warehoused. Now we are demanding that the new, in quotes, needs be met in the same old way, making homeless living shelters. The pendulum doth swingeth, and that's from Arthur, a.k.a. Code Lee at AOL.com. Thank you for that email. Who's next? I'm going to say take next and let the computer decide once again. That would be Al in Boulder Creek. Welcome to KSCO, Al. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. You know, uh, Paul Ehrlich, I think around 1971, wrote a book called The Population Bomb. I remember that. I moved here in 71, and about three years later, I think it was a very young Gary Patton, or one of those guys, said at a town meeting when there were very a lot fewer people there, and he says, look, there's too many, there were too many people here in 1975, and that is really true around the country, and uh, we've got it, and that was when the baby boomers started coming in, but one thing I know from personal experience is 
the pol- this policy of immigration is to bring in all these people, and uh, what that does is it drives down wages and it drives up uh, housing costs, and that probably has a lot to do with the homeless situation. And this is true in the entire country. I, I was replaced by a guy that... Um, came from some other country who would work for a fraction of what I used to get. I'm a professional mechanical engineer by trade. And uh, uh, fortunately for me, I have a pension. But uh, this is, uh, you might say I've been unemployed for 20 years. This this thing is, this homeless thing has been going on for a long time. And it has to do with um, bringing in, well, it had to be, but when you bring people from, Asia and Europe and all these other places uh, that has a tendency to drive down wages and increase. And again, you bring a lot of people in. You need they need a place to live. So I, I was wondering if anyone cared to comment on that. Who cares to comment on that? Well, there's. Uh, oh, let's Jim to turn his. There's on. some hope of an immigration bill by. Uh, December. It's very controversial. It's one of those things that uh, we're going to have to work around whether it passes or not. There's probably some causative factors uh, that are involved, as uh, the caller from Boulder Creek points out. I don't really know what the cause and effect is. I'm I'm sorry. I don't know that much about immigration and population um, movements. But what I will say is that low wages and unavailability of jobs, you know, this economic downturn that we've been in for some time, is a huge contributing factor to homelessness. Um, no matter where people are from. Our homeless population is not largely made up of immigrants. Our homeless population, if you look at the latest census and you look at the breakdown by population, as I said, 72% of the people were last housed in Santa Cruz, and then there's a population breakdown by age and by ethnicity. Um, What we've got, however, is a downturn in the economy that's making jobs much harder to come by and much easier to lose. And so that's a huge factor. All right. We have Kurt in Scotts Valley and Joan and Carmel on the phone. Stay there, please. We'll get to you very quickly here. Uh, Dick Landon has sent an email uh, last hour, 40 minutes ago, earlier this hour. Um, Homeless stats. Uh, MZ1, by the way. Not one city, county, police, fire, or whatever is on a 401k plan. That would be a dream to the beleaguered taxpayer, too. Once again, I am drowning in bureaucratic stats. Local homeless percentage has grown from 62% to 70%, but our county increase in one year is about uh, 1,000 additional cases. So is it an 8% increase, 80 people that are new local homeless or is it way, way, way more, as your first stat would suggest? And three, really? Non-local homeless is the same percent increase this year uh, to year moving to beautiful downtown Detroit as Santa Cruz? All right, that's from Dick. Just food for thought here. Uh, we only have uh, nine minutes remaining in the program. Actually, fewer than that. So let's go back to the phone lines and uh, take the next caller, which will be Kurt in Scotts Valley. Welcome to the KSCO Saturday Special, Kurt. Hey, KMZ, thanks for taking the call. My only comment is, and I'm not trying to sound mean-spirited, but 
We are going to, as a country, continue to have long-term unemployment. We're in a new normal that we've never experienced as a generation. And unfortunately, as somebody who runs a business here, it's going to continue to be a magnet for all the homeless people. I'm guessing both of you are, are, are government employees getting paid. Is that correct? Not at all. Not at all. Okay, do you volunteer your time? Yes. Yes. Okay, all right, well, that's awesome. But, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't see, I just think it's going to keep getting worse. And um, I don't have a good answer for it, and I, I think that's incredible that you're volunteering your time. And, and yeah, but on, don't you think what they've suggested can, can work? Don't you think it's a great idea? I hope so. I, I hope so. I, I think, you know, I mean, here's just... I think what's going to happen in the future, we have limited funds, and our population is going to become, uh, it's going to have to become volunteers because uh, the, the taxes aren't going to be there to pay the pensions, the freight. It's just, it's going to come to uh, uh, a head very shortly in the next two to three years. The money's just not there for all the programs, and it's probably going to be, you know what? What it is the future will be with we just half the people volunteering, and uh, you know because there's just not the money there. So well, we need but to I, run the numbers, Kurt. What's that? We need to run the numbers. I mean, no one's saying that we've got all the uh, T's crossed and I's dotted. We've got to do the spreadsheet calculations on what happens if you take the top ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent, and put them in housing. What are the savings and what are the costs? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when you say it's only going to get worse, that's true. It is getting worse because homelessness is a trailing indicator of economic downturn. So yeah. even even once the economy turns around and more jobs are available, homelessness doesn't stop because the 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 um the faucet was turned on. But in terms of the money, we are spending the money. Right. It's just that we're spending it in different ways. We're spending it in in cleanups, in, play, in police time, in um, hospital time, in extra, in extra parks and recs time, we are spending the money. Now, I don't mean to say and that it would be that it'll be simple to to sort of move that money around or account for it. It's not simple, but there are cities and counties that have done it, and we need to figure out how. We have two more callers here on the KSCO Saturday Special. We want to see if we can get them both on. Lupe in Santa Cruz, you're on KSCO. Hello. Hi, Hi. Lupe. How you said it it's, uh, has to do with jobs? Jobs, there's not enough jobs. But, but, but how can we have jobs when the county, when we, when we have... Uh, the, uh, so many un, uh, uh, the competition from uh, undocumented workers. For for example, what about the undocumented? We we can get paid twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. How how can there be jobs for anybody else? Well, it's a jobless recovery. I mean, there's jobs for people that uh, are in technology and work for successful companies, and there are not jobs for people at the lower end. And that's one of the problems with the economic uh, stagnation that uh, Claudia talked about earlier. 
And this is another, uh, you know, issue that has to deal with the immigration and the immigration reform bill and stuff like that. So, uh, it's all contributing circumstances. We got here. It's in a equilibrium situation right now. And I think, uh, we need to do something to break the equilibrium in a constructive way with programs that are measurable and, uh, verifiable. And our last caller for the program today will be Al in Boulder Creek. Al, you're on the air. Yeah, I had called in earlier, and I hung up. Uh, there's one lady said she's not aware of any uh, foreigners being homeless. Well, the fact is that if you, the, the term is aggregate, meaning in total. If if you have more people looking for a place to live or, or a job, uh, the law of supply and demand is if the price goes up. And uh, so... I, I, I want to make that, I think it's important to say that um, overall demand for housing is way up. And um, that's why you may not know, you might not say that there's a lot of foreigners that are, are homeless, but it, does, it doesn't really matter because a house is a house no matter who's living in it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to clear that up. Okay. We're happy you did, Al. Um, hey, hey so, so Aaron... Is that 90-second promo that I did, you know, talking about the KSCO radio station, you know what that is? I don't even know what number it is. If you could pull it up in the next, before, so we can play it before the end, that'd be great. If not, that's no big deal either. But 90-second promo? I wasn't a, aware of one it, that there it, was. A yeah, row. there's a 90-second promo in there that I did all about the radio station or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if you can, well, never mind. Thank you very much, Claudia Brown and Jim McBurney, for being wonderful guests on a great subject that helped us do what we like to do and that's serve the community and come up with um you know have a have a community discussion well and if people are interested in this more there is a website on smart solutions um so you can you can google smart solutions you can you can look at what's happening there um there's a lot of activity going on around homelessness so if people want to get involved or want to argue or want to come down and volunteer or want to do anything at all in this arena there's plenty of room all right and how do they do that you said well, come, come down and volunteer where well, at the center? We have volunteer. We have a volunteer mm-hmm. coordinator at the Homeless Services Center. You can look at the Smart Solutions website. If you have an idea, you can send me an email. I'm Claudia Brown at yahoo.com. So that's easy enough to find. Um, so we'd love to. We, a community dialogue is what we need on this issue. And that's what we're here for. Jim, um, can anybody uh, you, you invite people to get in touch with you either by phone or email? Sure. Okay. My, my email is jc. McBurney, M-C-B-U-R-N-E-Y, at AOL.com. And people are encouraged uh, to write. I'd appreciate it. I thought we made some progress today, and I enjoyed very much meeting uh, Claudia and uh, Michael. And I have never visited the uh, the homeless center at, at Coral and River. You need to do that. Come I, down I, with I, me. I absolutely do, and I absolutely Give me a call. Will. I'll give you a tour. Oh, that would be fantastic. Aaron, great job as usual. Thank you for being the pilot in command today. Um, let's see. This program will be rebroadcast tonight on KSCO between the hours of 10 p.m. and midnight. It should be up on the website as a podcast sometime this afternoon so you can listen on demand uh, online or through your smartphone. And that's it. We will see you all next week. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
KSCO Santa Cruz Salinas Monterey San Jose it's 12 noon CBS News I'm Pam Coulter NSA surveillance programs have drawn hundreds of protesters to the nation's capital this afternoon. Jessalyn Radak with the Government Accountability Project read a letter purportedly from fugitive leaker Edward Snowden. Today, no internet transaction enters or leaves America without passing through the NSA's hands. For the first time, the Justice Department plans to use information obtained from warrantless surveillance programs in a case against an accused terrorist. It could set the stage for a Supreme Court test of the Obama administration's approach to national security. CBS's Andrew Cohen. Since 9-11, the court has heard four major terror law cases all during the Bush administration, and all of them decided against the executive branch. In each case, the justices ruled that the government had exceeded its constitutional Constitutional or its statutory authority. That's the backdrop here as this new surveillance case pops up. A lot of gnashing and wailing in Washington over the new health care website this week. It does have problems, but President Obama said it's being fixed. Don't worry, these plans will not sell out. We're only a few weeks into a six-month open enrollment period, and everyone who wants insurance through the marketplace will get it. Michigan Republican Congressman Fred Upton calls the whole thing a disaster. In a few short months, families across the country are going to be subject to penalties under the law's individual mandate. How can the administration punish innocent Americans by forcing them to buy a product that many cannot afford from a system that simply does not work? 700,000 applications have been filed on the federal website, and Maryland's exchange seems to be working as planned. So far, 3,100 Maryland households have signed up for health care under the Maryland Health Exchange. That number is up about 400 from just last week. More than 40,000 have created accounts, and the state says in all, more than 300,000 have visited the website. As far as technical glitches with the website, the state says they are continuing to make changes and upgrade the system. Phil Yakabuski for CBS News, Baltimore. A judge finds herself in trouble after objecting to the name some parents gave their baby. It was in early August when East Tennessee child support magistrate Luann Ballou ordered that a baby's name be changed from Messiah to Martin. The word Messiah is a title, and it's a title that has only been earned by one person, and that one person is Jesus Christ. Now, Ballou faces an administrative charge of violating the state's code of judicial conduct. Her name change decision was later overturned. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Actress and comedian Marsha Wallace has died at age 70. She's known for roles in The Bob Newhart Show and The Simpsons. This is CBS News. Chris Matthews, host of MSNBC's Hardball. Here on Hardball, you can expect me to discuss history as it relates to what's happening now. You can expect to hear me analyze what politicians are doing today with what I've seen other politicians do before. And you can expect me to fight for the causes that stirred me in my 20s when passions rose, minds were set, and life missions accepted. And this is Hardball. Hardball with Chris Matthews. Weeknights at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on MSNBC. Wednesday night is Rivalry Night on the NBC Sports Network. Led by superstar Evgeny Malkin. The Penguins face off against the defending Eastern Conference champion Bruins. Bruins, Penguins. It's Wednesday Night Rivalry, presented by Coors Light. 
Coverage begins Wednesday at 6.30 Eastern on the NBC Sports Network. Good afternoon. You have it tuned into KSCO AM 1080 as well as KOMY 1340 serving Santa Cruz, San Jose, Salinas, and Monterey. It is 4 minutes and 15 seconds after 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on a lovely Saturday day. Today is October 26, 2013. Aaron Shore here reporting your local King of the Hill traffic and Central Coast weather, taking a look at your roadways. In the Santa Cruz area, no signs of visibility of traffic delays, all traveling up to the limit. As far as the Monterey area, let's start off with that. There was an accident reported at approximately 11.52 a.m. today, a two-car traffic collision. No injuries reported at South Route 156 westbound at US 101 North in Monterey. Units are assigned to the scene right now, continuing to clear the roadway. In the Hollister-Gilroy area at South Route 85 southbound at Cottle Road, there is a bumper in the lane. Units are assigned to remove that out of the roadway as soon as possible. Otherwise, traffic is moving up and to the limit in and around the Santa Cruz, Monterey Bay area, as well as inland highways, and of course, trailing up to the Santa Clara, Silicon Valley area. This includes Highway 1 North and Southbound, as well as 17 North and Southbound, and all highways in and around the 